So we're here today to announce our new coach of the Indiana Pacers. Um, I'm uh, really excited to have Nate to be a part of this. Um, didn't know a few days ago whether he was uh, really interested in being a head, of co head coach again, but uh, after finding out that he was going to Sacramento in search of a head coaching job, it made, made it pretty easy for me to to ask Kevin Pritchard, which had him in Portland, a lot of questions. and. Uh, uh, spent a lot of time with Kevin and, and found out we had our man right here. There is a lot of old school in me, and uh, you know, I won't lose all of that. But I, I do understand that you do have to adapt uh, to this generation. Uh, I believe in Nate. I've admired him from afar for a long time. Uh, I like the, the job he did in Portland. I like his demeanor. Uh, I like the old school. I like the players to be held accountable. I like structure. Yes, Nate McMillan is the new head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, this week's episode is coming to you from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Been out here all week. In fact, ahead of the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. But for the Pacers, lots has been going on over on 125 South Pennsylvania Street. Larry Bird has promoted Nate McMillan, the associate head coach of the last three years, to head coach. So he's going to be the head man. Popeye Jones, Dan Burke, both expected to remain on staff. So Coach McMillan, he's going to bring in a new style, more accountability, and someone that's going to hold players more accountable. At least that's what he says and what Larry Bird is wanting, and thus he made that change. Moving on from Frank Vogel, who has landed on his feet very well down in Orlando, it's estimated that he will be earning annually $5.5 million, more than double what he was making here in Indianapolis. So Larry Bird gets the new voice in the locker room that he has wanted. Nate McMillan his third head coaching gig. He was with Seattle, with Portland, and now with the Pacers. And this weekend, at least, he plans to just celebrate with his family, be with them, get together to celebrate him being a head coach in the National Basketball Association once again. On this week's episode, you'll hear from Chris Denieri, television voice of the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Fever wears so many hats, including one here out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We'll discuss the Pacers season. Moving on from Frank Vogel to Nate McMillan, being inducted into the Indiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame, and the role he has on race day up in turn four on the IMS radio network. Let's get into it. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. Uh, enjoy this weather after uh, a rainy start to May. Uh, but, yeah, the, it's, it's good to see the weather change a little bit so that the cars can go out. Also can help my golf game, I think. I have not even got out my clubs at this point. Oh, I, I my have, clubs aren't even in my car. No, they're in my <laughs> trunk. Uh, I've played a few times uh, and uh, hope to play. I have a lot of golf, uh, a lot of the events that I'm always in in June and July. But I've, I've had a chance to play my own ball, and I played, I played four or five times on Pacer road trips this year. So, so it was pretty good. What was the best one out of those? Best score or? Uh, no, be best course, best experience. Um, I played L.A. Country Club. I played Harding Park where they've played uh, the President's Cup. Um, I think I shot 79 there. I played really well that day. Um, but just had, a, just had a chance to play a bunch on the road this year with um, 
played with Austin Crozier, played with Quinn Buckner, played with Jamie Burns, my boss. Uh, just, you know, anytime you have a chance with a couple of off days uh, and you have a chance to sort of unwind and get out of the hotel room, that's what we try to do. And I can't say enough, it's got to help with your broadcast. The more time you spend together, whether it's eating breakfast, whether it's golfing, whether it's reviewing film, whatever you're doing, yeah. that can help your broadcast. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, and we were on the road a lot. Um, you know, I mean, somebody would say we played 41 road games, which is what we play every year. But it just seemed like the way the schedule was this year. We were on the road a lot, especially in January and February. And so we also played in Charlotte. I think we played in Charlotte and was like 48 degrees, but we didn't care. Um, I, I think it was four, four, four times on the road. Played once in Phoenix, once in L.A., once in Charlotte, once in San Francisco. Uh, so those were the four times that I played during the year. I love it. Well, I wanted to have you on, one, because you haven't been on the podcast yet, but two, so much to talk about when it, when it comes to you, Pacers, and, and your role here out at the track. Let's begin with the Pacers. Just your general thoughts of this season, where I think they slightly overachieved of what just about everyone was projecting them to finish. Yeah, I picked 45 games at the start of the year, so I was on record for that, and that's what they finished. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting year because it, it was sort of a roller coaster year in the team's performance. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've been taught over the years, especially by Donnie Walsh, you can't get too high, can't t- get too low because it is such a long season. And and you know, I think that the the thing that that was weird was is they won 45. That's what I thought they'd win, but yet they felt like they could have won more because they were there were so many games. Um, that were decided in the closing minute. In fact, I think the Pacers played the most in that situation. And, and what was, what was the, the, the hard part was is their numbers in late-game situations were so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were last in the league in virtually every category in final minute, final two minutes, uh, those types of things. And so you think about that, what could it have been? It was 45 so much better easily than it was 50 52 easily um, <laughs> even even with with all the games that they lost I mean I'm never one to say well if they would have won half of them really it was if they would have won four or five of them um, so that was the disappointing part but I think I think there was it was a good year because you did not know how Paul George would come back I think he answered a lot of questions about the way he played uh, Miles Turner uh, despite missing 20 games with a chip fracture in his thumb, you know, played very well. As we're doing this yesterday, he was uh, named second-team All-Rookie. I had him on the All-Rookie team, first team. And the reason I did that was he was the only player um, of, of those guys that, that was on a winning team, that was on a team that made the playoffs. All the other guys, you know, averaged 12 to 13 points on bad teams. They're on teams that need someone like them to develop and to contribute. Miles, who else would? Miles averaged 10 and a half points on a playoff team. So I gave him a first-place vote. Some other guys did too, but he was second team. So I think all in all it was a good year. Um, you know, it could have been better because uh, you, you just feel like they could have beaten Toronto in that first-round series. Uh, Miami then was hurt. Who knows where they could have gone? But still, I think a good step for the Pacers, one, to get back in the playoffs. Again, uh, those late-game situations, they go one and seven in overtime. We saw it. Then in Toronto, you're up 13 going into the fourth quarter right. in game five, and that's ultimately may had, had a huge factor. We're going to always look back at that game and say, what if? Yeah. But that was the storyline all, all season long for this Pacers team is trying to get over that hump and playing all 48 minutes. Yeah, it just seemed like Groundhog Day. I mean, yeah. every game, you know, I, I always like to say, the beauty about doing a live game is when the ball is thrown up, 
you have no idea what's going to happen. And that's true. But we, we knew what was going to happen quite a bit uh, because every game it seemed like. There was a stretch, Scott, I think, 14, 14 or 15 games in a row where it, it was plus or minus three with like two minutes to play. I mean, it just was every game was that way. So, um, you know, who knows what it could have been. Still, I think it was a good year. It wasn't a great year, but I think it was a good year. Yeah, in the playoffs for the fifth time in six seasons, the only time they didn't, your best player, a guy like Paul George, was out of the lineup. But this year back in playing his first full season, and I think this is one of those stories not just here locally, but league-wide that kind of not went unnoticed, but didn't, he didn't get the credit I think he deserved for playing every single game that he wanted to. Right. Coach, coaching staff obviously held him out of one game, playing big minutes, top 10 in scoring. This guy has a rod in his leg. And the ability to overcome the mental and physical challenges to get back to that star. I'm not quite there at superstar, but right. star level. Yeah, it was just fascinating I, to watch. I, I agree with you. I don't think people gave him enough credit. I and mean, We saw how good he was in November. And then he stumbled a bit in December or January, but still when you look at his numbers, they weren't bad when you consider what he did, when he had a rod in his leg and all of his comeback. I think he got more credit, Scott, nationally than he did locally because locally, you know, people are always trying to pick at the scab and say, well, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. I mean, we weren't sure what he was going to do, but still a year after a major injury. I mean, this isn't, this isn't an ACL. This, this is a broke, he broke his leg in half. The fact that he came back, uh, had the best year of his NBA career, averaged 23 and a half points per game, was an all-star for the third time, uh, second time as a starter, scored 41 points in the all-star game. We saw what he did in the playoffs. I think he had a remarkable year. Yeah, that postseason, he was clearly the best player in that, in that series, and it wasn't even close. But moving forward, what we see, he needs another guy. He needs yeah. that guy to compliment him. At times, it was Miles Turner or it was a, a various guy, George Hill knocking down shots, having a big quarter. Is that one of the big emphasis that you see that, that Larry Bird and the staff need to address, giving him that compliment star player? I think so. I mean, you know, unfortunately, like the Pacers, everybody's going to have a lot of money this summer. Uh, the Pacers are probably going to have about, what, $30 million of cap space. But, but I think most teams are going to have, you know, close to $30 million, if not more, of cap space. But, but I think the Pacers have a lot of really good complementary players. But the two guys that you're going to build around are Paul George and Miles Turner. Um, you know, I think, I think C.J. Miles and Rodney Stuckey and George Hill and on down the line um, – are good players that you want to have a part of your rotation, Monte Ellis. But I think I think they could use one more what I call really good player going into his prime. And I think if you can find that and add him to PG and Miles Turner and then have the collection of guys that you have. We haven't even talked about, you know, Solomon Hill's a free agent, Jan Mahimi's a free agent. Um, but if you can add uh, another player, a very important piece, uh, I think that's going to be important. Now, the, the one thing that I think is, as you look out at free agency this summer, I have to believe that a lot of players now see how Paul came back and said, hey, I want to play with that guy. I want to play with Miles Turner. So I think the Pacers sit in good, uh, they're in a good situation from the standpoint that, you know, a 45-win team that, that should get better and you've got two building blocks that I think anybody would want to play with. And we heard Larry Bird say, hey, he knows he's already heard through the grapevine there's interest, and Paul at his final press conference he even hinted that, hey, me and Monte, even right. George Hill, we might need to get on that phone and do some recruiting. Oh, there's no question. I mean, it's, it's, it's not unlike 
college recruiting now. <laughs> I mean, uh, players, coaches, front office do it. And I think it'll be very important for those players uh, to do their diligence to try to get somebody to come play with them. You brought up Solomon Hill a minute ago, and, and quite the season this guy had. He, he, we weren't sure about what he would contribute going into the season, so much so that management didn't even pick up the, the fourth year on his rookie deal. Then he's on the bench. Then Vogel inserts him into the lineup to the point where he can't pull him out. He's playing so well. And I think where things changed with Solomon was, number one, not having that fourth-year option picked up. It was, wow, okay, is this what they think of me? Let me? I need to go prove myself. And Larry, his opinion was he was out of shape. He wasn't mentally focused. And then he's in that lineup. And then he, knowing what he is and sticking to that, made a world of difference. Yeah, he probably, we don't know where he's going to end up because, and again, I'm not a capologist and I don't understand all of the numbers, but it appears that, you know, the Pacers can only offer him so much because they declined on the fourth year of his contract. But I think, you know, Solomon, I I think I heard him say that, you know, he sort of owes the Pacers because it was a a point of realization that that he wasn't doing the things that he needed to do. Uh, Larry Bird in that last press conference that you were at when they announced Nate McMillan as the new head coach basically said that, that that we were not pleased with the route that Solomon was going and, and we got his attention. And there's no question that the Pacers, I don't think toward the end of the year, Scott, would have had the success they had without without Solomon Hill. He was huge, not just not just making three-point shots, which is a little bit of an outlier. I'm not sure that's really what he's going to be, but he brought you a toughness defensively. It was that uh, hef- effort and, yeah. and no quit in his, yeah. in his play whenever he was out there. Yeah, I, I like to say that I think guys play hard, but he plays harder, and I think more guys need to play harder um, with him. I, I like to use the three, or, the three E's. Um, Everyone talks about execution, and everybody talks about effort, but I think the third E is energy, and I think Solomon plays with an energy that you know is pervasive to the rest of the team, and that ups everybody's effort, and I think helps um, the execution. So I think he's that energy player that all teams are looking for. You hope you have more of them, but but th- this Pacers team, what what I like to say is they're they're a. I say this in a in a positive way. They're really a low energy group from the standpoint that um, you know George Hill, one of the nicer guys you're going to meet. They're, they're they're not guys that are really demonstrative, and I think sometimes that works against them. And so you need a guy like Solomon Hill to lift up the energy because these guys, you know, they're not trash talkers or those types of things. You need a guy that can elevate the energy level, and Solomon was that guy. After the season, Larry Bird had some pointed words, and then a few days later, ultimately made the change, moving on from Frank Vogel. Number one, I wanted to ask you, you have a fun, just perfect telling story about who Frank is on the road that you've dealt with. I can can start first so you can think about it. For me, it was just... It was his willingness to do whatever for the franchise. Not the team, but the franchise. If someone came down, Kelly Tolles from Community Relations, hey, Frank, you mind recording this? Can you do that? Sure. What do you need? If he's out at the golf outing, he is perfect at schmoozing, working the crowd, talking with them, and being a great face for the franchise. And then, of course, we see what he's doing on the court and having the the full support of the players and and getting done what he has in that locker room. But he was just a a stand-up guy from... From whatever the franchise needed. Yeah, it was a you know it was a hard hard deal for me just from a standpoint, and I think it was a hard deal for the organization. It wasn't easy for Larry. You could you could see the the 
how genuine I thought Larry was at the press conference. Uh, I thought he was going to tear up a little bit in announcing he was letting Frank go. It's not um, often we see him get no, emotional. He, no. he knows the business. Let's yeah, move along. And there yeah. were about three, four times yeah. where he, he paused to compose himself. Yeah, I mean, because everybody liked Frank, and, and Larry just felt it was time for a change. And, and that happens in sports. It happens a lot in pro sports. Um, so for me, it's difficult just because I had such a good personal relationship with Frank. And it goes back to when he was an assistant with Jim O'Brien. And there weren't a lot of fun times then because the Pacers didn't win a lot then. But Frank and I had this deal on the plane that when I'd walk past him, and this was when he was an assistant, and if it was a particularly tough game or whatever, he goes, hey, CD, sports wasn't very fun tonight, was it? I go, no, coach, it wasn't. <laughs> But on the flip side, I, like I would walk down the plane after a win. You know, either we had won the game and we're, we're getting off the plane to go to the next stop or we're coming home, and he, he'd be all cheery. He'd go, CD, CD, sports was fun, wasn't it? I go, sports was great, Frank. It was great tonight. So, you know, we built that type of relationship when he was an assistant, and we would continue to say that when he was the head coach. So, you know, now nice. that we're doing this podcast, you know, I don't think it's – 100% official, but we see that sources say that he's going to Orlando with the Magic, and it looks like he got a pretty significant raise. And, and I think, <laughs> I, you know, it was funny because Larry Bird said, he goes, guys, Frank's going to be all right. And, and I think, you know, for both organizations, for Frank and for the Pacers, you want it to be a win-win. It's like, it's like, why do you make trades? You make trades because somebody wants your player and you want another player. And I look at what the Pacers have done in this situation is they've given Frank Vogel a brand new opportunity. He's making a significant amount of money to try to turn around an Orlando franchise. And the Pacers have put the job in the hands of Nate McMillan, who's been around, who's been a head coach, who's worked with Coach K uh, for Team USA, has a good relationship with the players, I think will be a little sterner, uh, if you will, than Frank was. You know, Frank may have been a little bit too nice at times, and that worked against him. I don't think uh, Nate will have that issue. So I look at it going forward as it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the Pacers. It's a win-win for Frank Vogel. It's a win-win for the Orlando Magic, and hopefully both teams benefit from it. Yeah, with Frank, it, it appears the early projections of his contract more than double yeah. what he was making. In and there's no state tax in Florida, right. remember, so it might be triple. <laughs> yeah, that, That's a nice little bump for him, and, and I look at that Magic team, as you mentioned, just a young, up-and-coming team that could use a solid play, player developmental guy and he's that for Nate McMillan here as an assistant role and he's done a very good job of being the assistant right we haven't seen him be fiery right none of that you look back at his Portland days and some of the last articles coming out was how he was too tough on guys and he didn't know where to draw the line and he, he even mentioned in his last press conference he knows things have changed players have evolved and and I he has to be willing to adapt yeah. to that I think that's the key word, adapt. And, and, and I'm one of those, you know, so many people were talking about, well, you didn't change the voice. You know, Larry Bird mentioned that after three years you need a different voice. Well, you're going to get a different voice mm -hmm. because 
Nate McMillan as the head coach is going to have a much different voice than he had as Nate McMillan, an assistant coach. You know, one of the things, you know, I go back to the Jim O'Brien days. Exactly, right. Is, you know, you made the move, and Frank Vogel moved one seat over and became the head coach of the Pacers, and he had a far different voice than Jim O'Brien did. And, and if I go back to those days, really those assistant coaches didn't have much of a voice. I mean, Jim O'Brien pretty much dominated practice. Now, at Pacers practices, the assistants did have a voice. They, they would teach Dan Burke, Nick McMillan, Popeye Jones, but it still wasn't the voice that Frank Vogel had. Frank Vogel would be the more dominant voice in practice. So um, to, to, to say that, that Nate McMillan's voice is going to be the same as what Frank's voice is, that's not accurate because I can tell you that I think Nate will have a much different voice um, than he had as an assistant coach. And from how they play on the core the the offensive production the efficiency the pace everyone wants to talk about I think that's more so in on on Larry to give him the players to do those sort of things that they want to want to do from Nate's standpoint I think number one it's going to be accountability that's going to be the tangible number one thing we say we see in those guys and I was watching ESPN and yet last night and JJ Reddick the Clippers who I really like has a podcast of his own Mention, hey, I like accountability. We yeah. like accountability in the locker rooms. That's what Coach Lude has done in right. Cleveland, and they've thrived. So yeah. you got to hope it's the same deal for the Pacers. Yeah, I think I think keywords in in the press conference, the second one with Nate McMillan and with Larry Bird, was accountability, was structure, and was practice habits. And the Pacers want to be improved in each of those areas. And again, that's not a that's not a super knock against Frank. I mean, it, it's just sometimes circumstances call for a change and um you know i go back to the first press conference and larry bird said this is the toughest thing i you have to do um that's why i like to do play by play and i'm not in management scott because i would have a hard time um you know coming to a conclusion for somebody that i liked that i'd have to go on and move on from that person but but those are tough decisions that those people are paid paid to do and that was a decision that that Larry felt was necessary in going forward to take this franchise to where he wants it to go and a positive side of all that too and keeping your own guys it it allows for continuity right away I was worried all right the video guys what are they going to do well they could probably go to Orlando and maybe they still will Um, but those are the the other effects of a coaching change some people don't realize but also with this Pacers team it's nothing official but it certainly seems that way but that Popeye Jones, Dan Burke will stay along. And Nate kind of hinted to me, if Dan wants it, you bet yeah. he, he has the job here. And I think that's incredibly important in a league that doesn't have continuity much anymore. Frank was the fourth longest tenured coach yeah. in the entire NBA, and he had been here ne- nearly six years. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, Dan Burke has been here since the late 90s. He came, uh, you know, when Larry Bird started as the head coach and has never gone anyway, gone anywhere. And, you know, he gets a lot of credit as much as Frank deserves credit on the defensive end. It's the, the backbone of that defense has really been Dan Burke. I mean, he has has been the builder, um, the constructor of, of all that they've done defensively. So I think that is a key hire. Larry mentioned that that's the biggest free agent that they have to get uh, after naming Nate McMillan as the head coach. I'd be very surprised if Dan Burke is anywhere other than the Pacers bench. Plus, what would we do without those Jeremiah Johnson, Dan Burke halftime interviews on Fox Sports Indiana? So, um, you know, we've got to have Dan Burke back for that. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now I want to transition, Chris, number one to a recent honor you picked up 
you went into the Indiana Broadcasters Hall of Fame. For a guy that's been and lived in this state basically your entire life, seen all the great broadcasters we've had in the state, and now we knew you were amongst the group, but now it's kind of official. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, fl- very flattering, and and you know you're a little bit in awe when you see all of the names that are in there. I mean, I think about you know growing up as a kid from Bippus, Indiana, Chris Schenkel, and just all the great broadcasters that Indiana has produced, and you don't do this for honors. I mean, I never got into this business to say, hey, one day I want to be in the Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame. But and, and, and by no means do I consider myself done. I'm 55 years old. I feel I have a lot of good years left. Um, you know, want to do the Pacers on TV as long as possible. Hope so, yeah. So, uh, but it is, it is very flattering to be recognized by your peers um, as somebody that is worthy to do that. It was a great honor for me um, to be able to have my dad present me. Um, he's 82 years old now. Uh, he was really my mentor growing up, high school coach, high school teacher. I played high school basketball for him. Uh, one of the highlights of my career is back in the late 80s, uh, doing high school basketball with my dad. Um, I would do the play-by-play. He would do the color. Um, we did it on the IHSA radio network back in the old days. Um, so I think back to those, you know, those days that you know, I was able to, to share a lot of memories with my dad, and it, made, it just was very special for him to be there that day for me. For those that don't know, he got started at Wabash, had a stop at Fox 59 where the yep. play-by-play voice for Butler for the Fever, now the Pacers in, yes, high school. Uh, amongst all of that, when you were growing up, who were two or the three of the guys that you were watching, that you were emulating, that you were taking notes about in the broadcast Well, field? I grew up as a big Reds fan. I grew up in southwestern Ohio, so I go back to the early 70s when Al Michaels was the voice of the Reds, and then when he left and went west, Marty Brenneman came, and, you know, so I, I was a huge Reds fan and, and listened to Marty you know, almost every night when I was a kid. And it's ironic, Marty Brenneman for one year was the TV voice of the Pacers uh, back in like 1984. So it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, I'm now doing what one of my idols, you know, did many, many years ago. You know, I, Don Fisher hates me to say it, but I listened to him as a kid too. So We all did, um, yes. You know, so, um, you know, listening to Don, you know, Mark Boyle came into the market in the late 80s. I think he's one of the best play-by-play persons in any sport, you know, so I'd listen to him a lot. And then at some point you just have to craft your own style. Um, you know, I was very fortunate, I think, um, my years at the University of Indianapolis were huge for me. Um, I was the first sports information director at then Indiana Central in 1985, and they really didn't have a lot of students that were interested in broadcasting. And I would do all of the football and basketball play-by-play on the road. So I would do football, basketball. You know, I'd do probably 25 games a year. And that really got me back into play-by-play because when I graduated from Wabash, And after my first radio job in Columbus, I went to Channel 59 as their first sports director when it was WPDS. And I'd sort of gotten away from play-by-play. But I quickly realized after those years at UND, that's what I wanted to do. My office needed to be the arena. And uh, that led to, you know, going to Butler in 1989 where I was the radio voice for the Bulldogs for 17 years. It led into Colts postgame show, high school state finals, Indiana fever, 
um, all of those kinds of opportunities. And then it culminated uh, 10 years ago with the opportunity to be the TV voice of the Pacers. So, um, you know, it's been really neat to, to, to be able to do that in my hometown. Uh, very few people get to do that, and I know I'm very fortunate. Is it amazing for you to look back? Wow, it has been 10 years oh, yeah. as the voice of the Pacers on TV. I remember when I got the call. We're here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and in, in August of 2006, I was covering the Brickyard, and I got a call from my boss, Jamie Burns, and he said, you won't believe this, but Al Albert has decided to step down. And we need a new TV voice, and you're the guy that we want. And uh, three months later, I was doing my first game. So, um, yeah, I remember I was walking. I was walking out of this media center. I knew exactly where I was when my cell phone rang and when I had the, had that first call. And it's right here at IMS. That's amazing. If you had one broadcast that you could be part of that you haven't yet, anything jump out at you? Do you want to do golf? Yeah, or? no. I, you say that. I, you know, I've done. You know. Turn you, you've basically done everything yeah, in the state. You know, turn four, you know, for this race, for the Indianapolis 500 Brickyard. I've done F1. You know, I've done IU basketball on Big Ten Network, IU football, Purdue basketball. I've done Butler, uh, Pacers, Fever. Yeah, I think I'd like to do golf at some point. I'd love to, to work, you know, on the Masters radio broadcast oh, or whatever. Yeah. I, I think that's the one thing that – that, that I haven't done that, you know, I, I'd like to try someday. Maybe you'll have to dabble into yeah, that. Yeah, when I get older, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they might need a 65-year-old guy to, to do something in a few years. But to your credit, and like a lot of broadcasters, it's one of those things you love doing that you don't want an off-season. So you're right. doing the fever. You're doing IMS to the point where people are like, Chris, don't you want, it, want some time away? Yeah, you know, I, I have more time. This is probably the summer that I'm going to have the most time away because I'm only doing 14 – uh, fever games on TV. I'm doing 12 at home and two on the road, though the two on the road, I'll actually, I'm going to tell people I'm doing them from the studio. I won't be traveling. So for me, this is probably going to be, you know, an enjoy, a very enjoyable summer. I hope to play more golf, uh, see more concerts, uh, see my, you know, go see Darius Rucker, you know, more than one or two times. And he'll be out here. Yeah, he'll be out I know, here. Yeah. I know you know that. Yeah, and, and so, you know, spend a lot of time with my wife. My kids are older now. Um, you know, we're not doing radio for the fever anymore, so there's no travel. I, but I still get to be involved in Tamika Catching's final year. So I'm really excited about the summer and then looking ahead to year 11 with the Pacers. You're in turn four here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How did you get your first opportunity out here? Um, this would have been in the late 90s. I was the voice of Butler. I was working at Butler. And Brian Hammonds and Dave Calabro had both been on the radio network. Dave was transitioning to work with Tom Carnegie on the PA. Uh, Brian Hammonds had left to go to the Golf Channel. And um, they needed pit reporters. And so Julio Fernandez called me. You know, I was out here covering... Uh, the race. I was always freelancing. So you just don't want to leave this place. This yeah. is where all those good yeah. phone calls I was come always, from. <laughs> I was freelancing for, for Fox 59 because I did a lot of free, freelance work for them. And I got a call and they said, hey, we, we need some pit reporters. Would you be interested? I said, sure. So I did the pits two years. And then in 2001, Bob Lamy retired from being in turn four. And they said, hey, we're going to put you in turn four. And so I've been in turn four ever since. 
probably, arguably the best turn to be in of the four. Yeah, when you think about it, I mean, I had the call, unfortunately, for GR. We all remember. Yeah, he for, hit the wall. For GR Hildebrand wall. when, you know, he's making turn number 800 and he hits the wall. Um, I saw Sam Hornish Jr. on the back end of Marco Andretti to pass him in one of the closest 500s ever. So, yeah, you get a lot of opportunity to have a game-changing, a life-changing moment uh, for a driver, and I've been very fortunate to be on those calls. And we hear, we'll hear those forever in this history. Yeah, I mean, that, that is... It's such a great call. Yeah, that is Do really... Do you like it? Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel okay. very good about the call. Because that's mean, one thing as broadcasters, yeah. you look back, oh, I wish you, I would have done that. You can't or, get it back. I love that. You yep. can't get it back. It's always there on tape. You can't change it. But that's one of those that I feel very good. When I listen back to, you know, the replay, the 500s, and I listen back to the end of the call, you're, you know, sometimes you're sort of you're not sure of what that call was but 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 those calls I'm very proud of and glad that you know I was ready for the moment because that's all it is you have to be ready for the moment anything can happen and just hope you're on it one of the ma- most amazing things to me in our business and sports broadcasting and journalism is the IMS radio network and how how the show goes on, how you seamlessly go from turn one to turn two and the transition into three into four. How, in your best words, how do you explain the chemistry and just the know-how of each, each of you, the guys and, and how you guys communicate throughout the broadcast? Yeah, it is an art. I, I've said this, that the, the IMS radio network, especially the broadcasts here, are more like television than any radio I've ever done. I mean, yeah. think about this, Scott. When you've done games, when I've done games, you know, basketball games, it's you. Maybe you have a color analyst. Maybe you have an engineer. A lot of times you're your own engineer, and you have the person back at the radio station. You've got maybe three or four people involved. When you think about this endeavor, um, we probably have 15 to 20 people. You've got three or four people on air in the booth. You've got four or five people down in the pits. You've got a person in each turn. You've got producers. Uh, you've got engineers. Um, so it, it's a lot like television. But the difference is, is there's no picture, and your job is to describe what you see. Try to be as colorful and as uh, you know descriptive as possible. Um, and I in th- a hurry, because and in a hurry, running through that turn, you so only quickly. have about ten seconds. There's there's a little bit of an art to it. Um, I have to really um, be on it each year because I only do two races a year. It's not like Mark Janes and, and Jake Query who do this throughout the summer. Um, I only have a couple of races to do. Uh, but but there's a, the, the key word that I'll use is trust, that we trust, especially in the turns, we trust each other. That, that you're going to leave it off in a position that you can be successful. I mean, my success really is determined by what Bake says is turn one, now Nick Yeoman in turn two, Jake in three, and me in four. Because I can't see the rest of the track. You know, it's just been the last few years that we have the video boards where you can cheat a little and look at the video board to see what, what you're seeing. You have to rely on what you're hearing from the other guys. And so there's a great trust factor that they're going to, you know, paint the picture for you that you're then going to paint for the rest of the audience. Beyond the the preparation of the color schemes and info for each car, how can you even prepare for a a broadcast like this? How can you practice? Do you guys get on and and simulate a race or anything um, like that? We we will practice on pole day this year. We'll we'll be up. But, but, you know, then it's just one car. Um, 
it, there almost is no simulation. But still, and you mentioned working yeah. in a new piece in turn yeah. two and Nick Yeoman. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, the good news is um, we'll do what we call roundy round. When the race starts, uh, we'll do roundy round for a good four, five, six laps to start. And that really gets your adrenaline going. Okay. That really allows you to work some of the kinks out so that when this race gets to 100 laps and 150 laps and 180 and 190, then you're really in a rhythm. So we sort of use, sort of like a team, you sort of use the first few laps to feel things out. We're not feeling an opponent out. We're sort of feeling each other out about where our drops are going to be. Um, it's, it's really easy for me, though. Uh, Jake in turn three basically will drop He'll end his commentary in the middle of the short shoot, and then that's where I pick him up. And uh, unless we're told to lay out, sometimes a producer will get in our ear and say, hey, Daenery, lay out. Then I just know that when Jake stops talking, I'm not supposed to talk because they're going to take it in the pagoda. So that's where it's more like television, that you have producers in your ear assisting you with with, with some of those things. It's one of those broadcasts, I don't care if you're here or not, you listen to because the the work you guys do and how you're able to mark, make it work with part-time people like yeah. yourself coming in and, and how you're able to seamlessly work together. It's a real tradition. I mean, for me, it's really neat. I grew up in, in the Dayton, Ohio area, so you know I'm 8, 9 years old, 10 years old, playing wiffle ball in the backyard on Memorial Day weekend, playing hot box, and we're listening to the race. And so now I'm on the race, and I get so many emails and texts from acquaintance, acquaintances I've made um, throughout all my years that, you know, somebody will text me, hey, I'm listening in San Francisco. I'm listening in Dallas, wow. Texas, because people listen to this race. It's a part of their heritage. It's a part of their tradition. Even if they don't live in central Indiana, even if they don't watch another race the rest of the year, you're conditioned to listen to the Indianapolis 500, and I'm very fortunate to be a part of it. And being the 100th running, they've sold out of all reserve seating. I can't imagine what the atmosphere and and the feel of this place. It'll probably be the best in my lifetime coming here. Oh, you know, I've been back here. You know, I remember the 80s, and I remember into the early 90s, but this is going to be something like no other, and I can't wait. Chris, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. All right. Thanks, Scott. CD is one of the great broadcasters in this state. He's been terrific to me over the last decade plus that I've known him. First meeting him in my role with the Fever years ago. We even made several drives up to Chicago together when he had the broadcast of the Fever in Sky game. He was just so great to me in, in teaching me about the business. Well, my shout-out to this week goes to Pacers general manager Kevin Pritchard. He doesn't talk to the media much, but after Larry Bird's press conference with Nate McMillan to announce McMillan as the Pacers' 15th coach in franchise history, Pritchard stayed behind and was willing to talk to the media. He was in the front office in Portland while Nate McMillan was head coach. You hear from Larry and you heard from Frank Vogel before, now Nate McMillan, but not too often do you hear from the other voices in the Pacers front office. I call it the four-headed monster with Larry Bird, Kevin Pritchard, Peter Denwitty, and Donnie Walsh. So I appreciate Kevin for adding his voice and perspective to the mix. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.